You're listening to the Bible Chunks Read-Through Podcast in association with the Limadine Bible Reading Plan and Charles River Church. To have your own copy of this reading plan sent straight to your inbox, you can sign up at charlesriver.lmd.church. For more information about Charles River Church, visit charlesriverchurch.com. We read the whole story to make whole disciples of Jesus. Welcome to Bible Chunks, where we read through the Bible in the chunks or sections based on themes that it was designed to be read in, so we can get a better handle on the story of God. My name's Kevin. That's enough about me. Let's dive into the Word. Today we'll be reading 1 Corinthians 11.2 through 14.40, 117 verses today. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a wife will not cover her head, then she should cut her hair short. But since it's disgraceful for a wife to cut her hair short or shave her head, Let her cover her head. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image of the glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That's why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head, because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears long hair, it's a disgrace for him? But if a woman has long hair, it's to her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone's inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined, 
so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it won't be for judgment. About the other things, I'll give directions when I come. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the, same, by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot see the hand, say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow with a greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I'll show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know, be fully known, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he understands mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that's not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in the tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsider or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he'll worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only one or two at most, or three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. 
For the spirits of, prophets, of the prophets are sub subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are, they are not permit, permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or is spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. As we come to this section in Corinthians, we need to recognize that the church that Paul was writing to didn't have an order of service. It didn't have like a, a, a organized form of liturgy. It was an infant church. It was a brand new church. None of the, the liturgy or the, the come in, one song, a scripture reading, a couple more songs, some more scripture, uh, an announcements, sermon, more singing, prayer. Th that didn't exist. What it was, it was much more informal as, informal as they gathered together and as, as, as the Lord would bring them, they would speak. And apparently many would speak in tongues, many would prophesy, many would, would speak and, and, and offer a word from scripture and it was just sort of a chaotic scene. Now, the, the church that we see today, and the liturgy that we have built, is kind of based on the Jewish synagogue, which they didn't have in Corinth. Well, they, they had synagogues in Corinth, for sure. But Corinth was more of a Jewish, uh, sorry, a Gentile congregation. And so the Gentiles weren't, didn't grow up in synagogue, and they weren't used to this form of worship. And so they were coming together, and it was just, as they were... They'd have a big meal. It was called the Agape Feast, and, and some people were eating and, and getting stuffed, and some people were getting drunk, and some people were going hungry. And Paul is getting word of this, and he's going, this is not the church. This is not what Jesus died for. So this whole section, Paul is trying to show them, everybody within the church is different. Everybody within the church has been uniquely chosen by God with different gifts, equipped with different gifts from the Holy Spirit. And if you then can take that gift from the Holy Spirit and boast about it, then you've missed it. If, if you can take this, the, the gift that you have been given from the Holy Spirit and, and be bummed out about it because it's not somebody else's gift, then you have missed the Holy Spirit. You've, you've misunderstood the purpose. All things are, be, are to be done for the building up of the church. We're putting aside our rights. We're laying aside our rights. That's why... the. Chapter 13 is smack dab in the middle of this section because he's saying, I can do all of these external things right, but if I don't have love, it's nothing. If I could do all of these things and I don't have love, it's nothing. It's, it's useless. It's, it's sort of that Lamentations vapor or Ecclesiastes vapor. It, it, it's, a, it's a chasing after the wind. Without love, it's nothing. And then he defines what love is and, and all the things that, that characterize love, patient, kind, 
It doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. So he's saying, like, this is the, the fruit of the Spirit that you should all be jealous for. I'm going to show you a still more excellent way. So earnestly desire all of these gifts. Desire to, to, to prophesy. Desire to speak in tongues. There's nothing wrong with desiring for that and asking God for it. But the higher gifts, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, these are the things that you are to earnestly desire. And here's the more excellent way, the way of love. And then it comes off of that with the prophecy in tongues. He's saying, what's the point of, of speaking in tongues if nobody else knows what you're saying? It's not wrong. It's not forbidden. But if you're doing it and, and puffing your, you up, that is sinful. And so let's not have a church full of, of people speaking in tongues unless people are interpreting, interpreting those tongues. Paul says, I, I speak in tongues more than anybody. But I'd rather say five words in, in, a, in, in a way that you can understand than 10,000 words in a tongue where you don't understand. And maybe I'm having the most amazing experience with God, but you guys are all confused. And so he's, he's saying orderly worship. Orderly worship. And then um, he gets into how that's to look. Uh, and, and again, the husband and the wife dynamic where the... the Christ is the head of the man, and then the husband is the head of his wife, and and all are together in this one thing. So it, it begins with that, and it ends with that, with uh, him not permitting women to speak within the church. And so order in, in all aspects. And so as we wrap up today, I'd ask you to consider what is this section of scripture tell us about who God is. It's, it's really just one big sandwich here in, in 11 through 14. It's actually quite remarkable how um, Paul has laid it out. But what does this section of scripture tell us about who God is and what he's like? And what does it tell you about yourself? And then finally, what was it that the Holy Spirit was stirring up while we were reading? Take those thoughts, turn them into prayers, and we'll be right here again tomorrow. Until then, God bless.